Well, good morning. It is great to see you guys here today. If you're watching from online, if you've got your Bibles, let's grab them and go to 1 John chapter 5. Today is the last message from this series. If you're uh, just visiting with us for the first time, we've been working our way through uh, the book of 1 John for the last several weeks. And so we find ourselves in chapter five, ending out the series next week, starting a brand new series on prayer. So I'm excited about that. Um, You know, I think we all know people that are just super confident, right? They, they, they just exude this, uh, th- th- this confidence and we wonder how in the world do they actually get that confidence because so many of us tend to struggle with our self-esteem, t- tend to struggle with our confidence. And, and we all know these people, we see them at work. You know, they walk into work, they walk into the church and they're all strutting. How's it going, buddy? Good to see you. You look fantastic. Praise the Lord. And, and you're like, wow, right? Where does that come from? The energy and the... It was like the confidence, like uh, we all kind of sit back and we think, man, I, I just don't have the confidence to talk to somebody like that or to exude that kind of persona. And, and we all kind of tend to struggle with that, I think. And in fact, in the book titled The Self-Esteem Book, it reports that 85% of the world's population actually is affected by a low self-esteem. Well, that's a lot of people. That's, that's most of us in the room today. And there are a lot of reasons why that happens. And our past has a great deal uh, to do with that. Maybe you didn't have a healthy relationship with your parents. And so uh, as you were growing up, you didn't have that. And, and, and that caused some of those insecurities to grow. Maybe you, you felt like you failed at something at a younger age. And because of that, you just kind of feel like you don't measure up. Maybe you just have this inner critical self-talk that happens consistently and you just listen to it too much and you're just really hard on yourself. Maybe you have a, a poor image of your body and, and as a result of that, that's just been a big part of your, your, your lack of confidence. In fact, on, on that note, the University of Washington Teen Health and media says that 53% of girls say they're unhappy with their bodies. And that number jumps to a whopping 78% by the time they turn 17. And so when you look uh, at the the world and what media is putting in front of us, that doesn't really come as a surprise, does it? This isn't rocket science. You you know this to be true. You've experienced it yourself. We see the, the media portraying this false, unrealistic image of what the perfect person should look like. And we, we see this unrealistic illusion of how these perfect people should look and act. And we place that upon ourselves and we feel like we don't measure up. If we don't look exactly like they say we should, if we don't have the job and the salary that the world says is required and needed to be perfect or the body or the skin tone or the height or the nose or the lips. And so on and on we go and Some of us try to attempt to kind of get what we feel like we need in order to attain that image. But if you're not careful, you'll feel like you don't measure up based on that image that the world is pushing. And then you'll start to feel unloved. You'll start to feel unworthy. And on social media, it doesn't help. If you're spending an hour or so a day or more scrolling through Facebook or whatever, Instagram, TikTok, we have to realize that everybody puts the best part of their day on social media. 
Like I'm not posting the fight that I had with my wife about where the salt and pepper shaker is at. Like that's not making my, my real list. And, and, and so if you're scrolling this day after day and you're seeing best day, best day, best day, especially now, because we have a lot of friends that are on vacation, you know, my, my in-laws, they just sent a text message. They're in Jamaica right now. They're like, hey, this is our view this week. And I'm like, ah, that's great. <laughs> right? We see, it frustrates us, right? And, and imagine seeing this over and over and over and over again, everybody's best day. And it's, and it's easy for us to feel like, man, my life stinks. My life's not cool. I don't get to do that, right? So there's no wonder why so many of us deal with this. So what do we do? How do we overcome this? How, what's the answer? And, and I want you to know today as we start that the Bible never tells us to have confidence in ourselves. Like I've done a lot of research over the last two weeks on this and man, I have read a lot and there's a ton of articles on what to do if you lack confidence and it all kind of you know, lands on making yourself feel good by pampering yourself, talking to yourself positively, um, you know, believing in yourself, setting a goal and then actually accomplishing it. And you know, all of these different things. And it's like, these are all temporary fixes. When you look at the Bible, the Bible gives us a little bit of a different perspective. Here's what Jeremiah says in chapter 17. He says, the blessed men and women in the room are those who trust in the Lord, whose confidence is in him not in yourself and not in your performance and not in your looks and not in your friends list and not on your likes or repost, but in him. And then we also see Paul say this in Philippians chapter one. He says, I'm confident of this. Be confident of this, that he, he who began a good work in you will actually carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so our confidence is in the Lord and we can be confident that the work that he began in me is not going to be finished until he says it's finished and that day is the day of Jesus Christ when we meet him face to face in heaven or he comes back to take us home. And so no matter what we go through in life, we know that he's not done with us. No matter what sin you've experienced, no matter what you look or what fail you've, you've experienced or what lack of confidence you might have in yourself, we can have confidence that God is doing a good work in you. He's not finished with you yet. And so we be, believe this and we, we start to unpack this spiritually and in our lives. And, and as we do, our confidence in Christ grows. I, I think that having a healthy self-esteem is, is, is good. I think having a, a certain amount of healthy confidence is good. But at the end of the day, that cannot be rooted in the way that you look, the way that you've performed, the money you have, the power you have, the friends you have. Because if that's where your confidence is coming from, it's simply a temporary dose of unreal confidence. It's not real. It's, it's, it's not authentic confidence. And, and the way that I know that is because I've ridden that roller coaster of confidence and emotions as well. And a lot of that has to do with sports in my life. And if I played a good game, confidence, man, I got confidence, I can do this. The next game I play not so good, confidence falls, bottoms out, right? 
And, and the reason why this wave rolls is because we're constantly valuing our self-worth based on our performance. And if I'm performing well, if I look good, then I'm confident. And then we think that, okay, don't have that. That confidence tank is leaking. And so today, if you're finding your confidence in, 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 in money, looks, performance, power that you have, beware, your tank will always be leaking and you're always gonna be looking to fill it up in some way. And it's not until you ultimately find your identity in Christ that you start to experience real, authentic confidence. I think without Jesus, there is no way that you can have true. It will always be false confidence. And so that's why so many people struggle with it because we haven't found it yet. Because to truly be confident, you're understanding who God created you to be who God says you are, and you're understanding your true identity in Christ. And so you've embraced that. And out of that, you can then live with confidence. So today we're gonna read from the very foundation of like where confidence stems from, three ways that you and I can have confidence, three truths actually, of how you and I can have confidence and what we can actually have hope in. And it's found in chapter five here, in 1 John, so let's dive in together. Verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. This is a powerful passage. I love it. What he starts off by teaching us is that you and I can actually have a confidence that we know we have eternal life. So if you're taking notes, you can be confident today that you have eternal life. God doesn't want you to doubt your salvation. He doesn't want you to be confused. He doesn't want you to wrestle with this concept over and over again in your life. Verse 13 tells us the purpose of the letter. And he's saying, I'm writing this to you so that you can know. That's why we titled the message, We Can Know, because he wants you to know that you can have eternal life. You can be confident that your sins have been forgiven. You can be confident that you are truly saved. Now, if you turn to other world religions, every single one of the other world religions, whether it's uh, Islam, Hinduism, whatever it is, they all basically teach that we're unsure that you're gonna go to heaven if you follow this plan. We have a pretty good idea, we think it's gonna happen, but you can't really know. In fact, even Catholics uh, teach this. Their, 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 their doctrine actually teach that, hey, you, 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 know, you can hope and we kind of think, but at the end of the day, you, 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 you hope that you've done enough, you've worked hard enough, you've done enough good things to actually get yourself into heaven, but in the scripture, we see that we can have confidence that we have eternal life. Well, if that's the case, why do so many of us struggle with that? Why do so many of us struggle with doubt and, and we're unsure of that salvation? I wrote a few things down here. Maybe this is you today. Maybe you're doubting because you don't have a clear understanding of what God's plan of salvation actually is. You're, you're doubting whether or not you're saved if you're a Christian because you don't have a clear understanding 
of what God's plan to actually get saved actually looks like. And, and, and this is evidenced by conversations that I have with people. And I ask, you know, when did you give your life to Christ? When did God save you? And I get answers like, well, I recited this prayer when I was this age, or I walked an aisle at this time. And, and listen, when you recite a prayer or you walk an aisle, that might be evidence that you desire faith, but reciting a prayer doesn't save you. Faith in Jesus saves you. You can recite the prayer that I share every single week. You could recite it a million times in your life, but if you're not really giving your faith and life to Jesus, if you're not really giving Jesus the authority of your life and you're believing in him, then the, the words don't matter, right? And so we can be confident that we have this, but to, to understand what exactly we are doing, we have to actually believe what we're saying. And so the gospel of John, the same writer, the apostle John says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. This is like the purpose of the gospel of John, why he wrote. And he's saying, I wrote these things so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have eternal life in his name. He's saying you and I can have eternal life in the name of Jesus. If you believe that he is the son of God, that he is the Christ, and you put your faith and trust in him, he says, you can know that you're saved. And so today, if you do believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, you've asked him to forgive you. You've said, I'm putting my faith in the fact that you died for me and rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And I am, I am trusting you to forgive me. I am trusting you to allow me to, to be saved from the pit of hell and that you are going to give me heaven based upon your work. You believe in that, you can know that you have eternal life. You can have confidence in that. And so it's trusting in what he has said. Now, you might be doubting because of an unclear understanding, or secondly, maybe you're doubting because you, you think salvation is linked to how good you are. So maybe you were raised in, in, in kind of thinking in terms of like, you know, what God wants and how you're supposed to live your life and that gray area of living for God versus, you know, not being able to be perfect. And so when you're living in that, sometimes we're, we're taught that we've got to live a certain way in order to maintain that salvation. Sometimes we struggle in that. Um, when, when we read the Gospel of John in, in, in chapter six, he makes a very clear statement here that I think is helpful. Jesus says, most assuredly, or sometimes it's translated, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me has eternal life. He doesn't say, he who believes in me and never sins again has eternal life. He doesn't say that. Why? Because the, the reality is we are sinful human beings. We're never going to live a life of perfection. And so we know that our salvation is not based on how good we are. It's based on how good Jesus is. And this is a guarantee. He guarantees this by giving us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And that's the guarantee that we know we are Christians. Uh, my oldest daughter, was in a car accident several weeks ago. She's fine, but messed up the car. And so blah, 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 had to go get a new one. And, and um, I say new, new for us. And uh, so 
we went to the good folks at Airport Honda. They always take good care of us. We trust them. And they've been helping us for the last several weeks. We finally found one yesterday. And when we finally make the decision, we're gonna, we're gonna buy this thing and here we go. And so we walk into the room and, and the guy's like, all right, are you gonna be financing the whole thing? You're gonna put a down payment down and, and then what are you gonna do? You know, what, what is that? And so I'm like, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna make a down payment and then we're gonna finance the rest. And so what that means, you know, younger people, what that means is you're, you're on the hook for that, what you're financing. Like when you leave there, you gotta keep working and keep paying that payment. <laughs> Nobody's coming in. The government's not coming in and say, oh, I'm so sorry, we're gonna pay that for you. No, you commit to make that payment. You promise to make that payment. You gotta make that payment. And so here's my down payment and I'm on the hook for the rest. Now watch this. When Jesus is dying on the cross, He's not making a down payment for your sin. He's not making a down payment and then expecting you to figure out how to finance and work for the rest. What he is saying is, it is not a down payment, it is a full payment of your past sin. Yeah. Your present sin. The sin that you're committing right now, the sin that you don't even know you're committing because we're so sinful. I don't even know some of the stuff that I'm doing that God's like, oh my gosh, he's a terrible person, but I'm glad I'm saved him, right? We, we don't even know what we're doing. He has saved us from that, he's forgiven us, and he's forgiven me for what I'm going to do tomorrow. A lot of people think, well, you can't preach that, Trent. You preach that, then everybody's gonna live like, you know, rebels and hellions, and they're just gonna, no, 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 no. That doesn't give me freedom to, to, to live like a pagan. That, that gives me freedom to worship the grace that we have in the gospel. And that allows me to walk without this heavy burden on my shoulders, that I gotta live a certain way to make God happy. Maybe we had parents and we had to live a certain way in order to get their approval and their love, but that is not how God works. He loves you, no matter what you look like, where you're from, no matter what color of skin we have, no matter what success we have or we think we don't have or what failures we've experienced in our past, he loves you. Maybe you're doubting because you think salvation is linked to your good works or number three, maybe you're doubting because you're living in sin. Now, I can say this with confidence because I've been here, <laughs> right? I, I, I went through this. And so if you know the gospel, if you've been in church, You've made a commitment to the Lord, but you're trying to live your life with one foot in the church and one foot in hell. It's just not gonna work. You, you, you can't live with one foot in the world and then one foot in your faith. You can try for a season, but your spirit is gonna be in such turmoil and anguish, you're not gonna wanna come to church or, or listen online. You're not, you're not gonna want to do that consistently, why? because that conviction of the Holy Spirit comes in your life and you realize that it's time for you to make a decision, but you're saying, no, I wanna hold on to this. You can't let this go. And so we hold on to our sin. We hold on to what we think is bringing us happiness. It's, 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 it's a life that we think is bringing us joy, but it's really brought us to bondage. 
And you're gonna have to walk away from that if you want that, that doubt to alleviate your mind. Because if you're playing that game, you're, you, you don't know joy. You, you don't know what it's like to joyfully serve God or to, to be in his presence because of this back and forthness in your life. You've gotta let it go. You've gotta let that sin go. And you've gotta give your life to Jesus. You've gotta repent of that sin and you've gotta run with him. Sometimes, God might be calling us to a deeper level of commitment. And so we know he's asking us to do something, but we're rejecting that. And when that happens, that doubt can creep in. That restlessness and that turmoil of our spirit can happen. And it's why we're anxious. And it might be why you're not sleeping well. And it might be why you're kind of frustrated in other parts of your life because you're neglecting the call God has on your life. I see this with people who are, um, being called into full-time vocational ministry. God puts a calling on their life. They begin to receive that, but then they reject it. They walk away from it or they fight that. As a result, doubt creeps in. That, that inner turmoil in your spirit begins to happen and you struggle with your confidence. And listen, this is exactly where the enemy wants you. He wants you doubting you know, your confidence. He wants you doubting the Lord, doubting your salvation, because when you're doubting, you're not effective. You're not fulfilling the calling God has given you. When, when you're spinning your wheels doubting about, I don't know if I'm good enough, and I don't know if I, well, listen, we read the Bible, we see the truth, and we walk and step into that, not in confidence of my performance, but in confidence of who Christ is. You might be somebody that's just like, you know, I've always kind of struggled with self-doubt, I've always listened to that inner critic. And, and so you don't believe it when your spouse says, I love you. You don't believe it when your boss says, hey, you're doing a great job. You just don't believe anything. You're skeptical about all of these things and, and you just feel like you're not good enough for Jesus. And until you put that to death and say that is a lie from the pit of hell and say, I'm going to believe no matter what I feel that Jesus Christ has saved me, forgiven me, and is calling me to a hope and a purpose in my life. And I'm not walking by my sight, I am walking by his sight alone. Will you be able to break through that? It's about trust. Now, when we read 1 John, like we have for several weeks, he's given us these characteristics over and over and over again. What does a Christian really look like? What are the marks of a Christian? And he's taught us. Very clearly, he says, faith in Jesus, okay, check, we get that. He's told us that we're marked by obedience, huh, huh, right? Got to, well, pause, think about it. Number three, love for other Christians. So you look at that list and only you know, based on the evidence in your life, are you loving Christians well? Are you obeying God's call in your life and his commands? And, 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 and are you really living with faith in Jesus? If this is you, then you can walk in confidence today. If this is not you, the good news for you is that you can give your life to Jesus today and settle the matter, settle the issue. Why wait on back and forth and am I, am I not and struggle and every time, you know, maybe the topic is raised, your struggle internal spirit is restless again. Nail that down so that you can move forward in confidence. Let's keep reading the next section. Verse 16. He says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, he should tweet proudly about how good he is and how bad that person is. No, 
He doesn't say that. I, sometimes we think it should be in there somewhere. But if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, let's talk about that. He shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. Well, if we come to a place in our life where we are confident that God has saved us, we're confident in that faith in Christ, then secondly, what he's teaching us here is that you can be confident that God hears and answers your prayers. We can be confident that. We can know that he hears us. We can know that he will respond and answer. Um, does anybody remember back in the day when we had telephones that hung on the wall and they had those cords that hung down? Remember that? Some of us are older enough to remember like the little thing that you would stick your finger in and you'd have to twist it and go. Remember that? Anybody remember that one? It's kind of old. When you would make a phone call back in those days and somebody else that you were calling was on the phone talking to somebody else, you used to get what was called a busy signal, right? That meh, meh, meh. You remember that? There was nothing you could do about that. <laughs> like you couldn't text people and say, hey, I'm trying to call you, answer the phone. You couldn't DM them on Facebook or whatever, you know, social. You couldn't do anything. You just had to wait. You had to wait. This was extremely frustrating when you got the busy signal. And then somewhere along the line, all the cool kids uh, in, in school got call waiting but me. And so when I was on the phone talking to, to a friend or whatever, you know, they would get that little, that little click. It wasn't even, it was like a click. And, and, and then they'd get to one-up me. You remember that? It was like, oh, I've got another call. <laughs> Somebody else wants to talk to me. You wait there like an idiot, right? So then I'm waiting and they click back over. You remember that? So you had the call waiting. Then you had the, the busy signal. And then now today you've got, you've got the people that you text and they don't text you back. <laughs> you know, I texted you. It's on your phone. You can see it. And you got the people that you call and they know you called. It says, missed call from Trent. And they don't call you back. You know those people. Anybody know those people? No. If they never call you back and they don't text you, the young people, the youngins, they call that ghosting. <laughs> so grandparents, you can tell your, your, your kids today that, hey, I'm not ghosting you. I'm just bad with my phone, right? <laughs> I text my dad like a week later. He's like, oh yeah, that'd be great. I'm like, dad, it's over. That was a week ago. What are you doing? No, Got, need, need, need help. Not the, not, not the tech savviest of, of, of people. But the point is this. When you wanna talk to God, there's never a busy signal. He's not ever ghosting you, even though it feels like he may not be responding or listening. He's never busy. He is always giving you a willing ear. No matter what season of life, no matter what you're going through, no matter if you think you're worthy or unworthy, God wants to have a relationship with you in such a way that he wants you to talk to him with the requests that you have. And he wants to be able to talk with you in that moment back and forth. And what I love about what the Bible gives us as far as 
how to pray. Sometimes we overcomplicate it and we think that we have to have all these flowery words and it needs to last 45 minutes or an hour every time we pray. When you read the Bible, you see that there are men and women who are praying like these one or two sentence prayers. And they're like, that's it. And then God answers and then miracles happen. It's like, wait, that's just the one sentence prayer. Does that work? Yeah. And so God wants to have a relationship with you in prayer. We don't get that busy signal. And he says, if we ask anything according to his will, it's yours. Now that's an interesting phrase, according to his will. Now, if you're a parent, um, you don't give your kids everything they ask for, do you? At least I hope you don't. If you gave them everything they asked for, they'd be eating gummy worms and sour worms for dinner every night. Like you, we, we just know that you can't do that. Uh, but that's what, what they want. And so God knows. He says, listen, when you pray, it must be according to my will. So practically what that means is don't waste your time praying for something against God's will. So don't pray and ask God if you need to get a divorce, like we know he wants you to work through this. He wants you to grow through this. There, there, there is no like, God, should I stay with an honor my wife? No, you should do that. You don't pray, God, help this deal to, to, to help me to close this deal, God, knowing good and well you've been lying and cheating and stealing to make that deal happen. That's not according to his will. If you're single and you're trying to hook up with a woman and you're like, God, help her to talk to me or DM me back so that I can be with her, you know? Whoa, sounds like a prayer to the devil, not to God. We've gotta be careful. We don't pray for things that are against God's will. But what does praying in God's will look like? Well, several things. Because we know that his will is recorded in the Bible. And so he, what he commands us to do and what he tells us uh, to do what he says is going to lead to life in our life, then we can trust him that that's what we should pray for. So we should pray for holiness and we should pray for hope and we should pray for love and we should pray that our marriage is healed and we should pray that yes, we could make disciples and that our church would make disciples and that when we start new locations that the gospel would impact that community and, 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 and God would change lives. And yes, we should pray that we become generous people because the Bible calls us to be generous people and we should pray that we should serve well and, be, and, and, and have a servant's heart and, because he is a servant himself and he calls us to serve and God has plainly told us what to pursue in the Bible. And so we should pray that we, could, we can do that. You know, one of the best ways that we can actually do this is when we just pray the New Testament, when we pray the scriptures. We come across something, we, we, we read this and we pause and we say, God, help me to do this. That's a great prayer life and a great habit. Like, you know, we're reading this. We should say, God, we wanna pray that we would simply allow our request to be in your will. Help me to know what that means. So he says, pray according to my will. And then he says, we know that we have the request. We have the request when we pray, we should with confidence know that God can and we should believe that he will answer that prayer. And so there's a, a level of belief and now there's a, 
There's a name it and claim it theology out there that you probably read about or you watch on TV. And so we get a little weary when we come to actual biblical teaching that says we have what we pray for. And so the confidence that he wants us to know is God hears us and God will answer each of us today. And so what we wanna understand though is as we pray, here's how it works. And God answers that prayer, our confidence in him grows. So we don't need more self-help books on how to grow our self-esteem. We, we need more prayer in our life. And when we pray and God answers, our confidence grows in him. Because that's ultimately where self-esteem comes from, is when we are confidently in a relationship with him. So I would say it like this. Confidence comes not from your performance, but from God's faithfulness from God's faithfulness. Confidence comes not from your salary. Confidence comes not from your relationships. Confidence does not come from your accolades, but from God's faithfulness. You struggle with your self-esteem, you struggle with your image, you struggle with whatever. The reality is we need our prayer life to grow so that we can see the hand of God move in our life. And then he will grow our confidence, your faith, will grow as God answers your prayer. Now, there are many times when we don't simply know what God's will is exactly. And so how do we do that? How do we pray if we don't know what God's will is? Maybe it's, should I marry this person? Should I take this job? Should I do this? Should I move? Should I whatever? So in prayer, we go to God. And as we talk to him, sometimes he changes our heart. He changes our mind. He directs our thoughts. And so that's why consistent prayer life is important. You don't just, you know, ask God one time, you know, God, should I marry this woman and be dedicated to her for the next 50, 60, 70 years or however long I'm gonna be alive? Like one prayer is not enough, bro. You need to slow down and talk to God on this one. <laughs> Ladies, talk to the Lord on that one, right? And as we do, we ask questions like, is this sinful? Is this a sinful thing? Well, no, it's not sinful. Okay, I'm gonna keep praying for it. We ask things like, well, okay, well, is this gonna be helpful in, in, you know, for the community, for my church? Yeah, okay, okay, well, then we keep praying. Does this align with God's purpose for my life? No, it doesn't. Okay, well, then I'm out. We know it's not good. If it does, then yes, okay, let's, let's keep praying. Let's keep thinking. Let's keep moving. How does this affect my church, my worship? How does this affect my ministry? Okay, well, it seems to be in a positive. Let's keep praying. Let's keep pursuing this. Is this good for my my wife or my spouse, is this good for my, my kids? Yeah, I think it'll be good. Okay, well then we keep praying, we keep moving. Do I even desire this? Has God given me a, a burden for this? No, he hasn't. Well then, okay, I, that's probably not the time. Okay, maybe he has, so let's keep moving. Right? And then at some point, the more you pray about it, you get godly advice. And as you pray and as you think, then you decide and then you go. And sometimes with a good conscience, you say yes, you've prayed, you've thought, you go. And it doesn't work out the way that you had hoped. That doesn't necessarily mean you didn't do what God wanted you to do. It might mean that he wanted you to do that and he wanted you to struggle because he wanted to teach you something. Or it might work out and be like exactly what you had hoped. And it's like, thank you, God. And it's, this is amazing, right? Either way, our confidence can grow. This is the journey that he has us on. And I know this from just my own experience. How do we know to purchase you know, the building next door so many years ago. We didn't have that money. We, 
We didn't know if anybody would come. We didn't know how to renovate. We didn't know any. Well, we prayed about it. We talked to godly leaders and we said, yeah, this feels like God wants us to do it and he honored it and the rest is history. How do we know we're, we need to start a location in Bearden? How, how do we know, you know that, that this is the right location? Well, this is, a, this is over a two year prayer for, for me and this church and our staff. We've prayed about this for a long time. We've tried and got to shut doors. And then finally he begins to open doors. And as he does, we went probably to four or five uh, different buildings and we walked in, man, this could work. Okay, this is, this is gonna happen, but deep in my spirit, no, it just didn't feel right. And so not it, not it, not it. Until finally we walked into the middle school in, in Bearden and it was just like, this is it. I just, I just know. And sometimes you just know, but I think the way that we know is after years, if not months of prayer, asking and seeking the Lord. I love what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter four. He says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If you're going into prayer thinking, this probably ain't gonna work, God, and I don't think you're gonna be able to do this one, but uh, I'd really like for you to do this. He's thinking, no, 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 that's not how this works. The way that this works is we believe with all of our heart the confidence that says, God, you're gonna give me mercy and you can meet me in my time of need right here and right now. And he is faithful. Some people think prayer is just simply us trying to get God to give us what we want. And that's not the case. It's, it's more of, of, a, of a relationship that we have developed. We speak, he speaks, he leads. I see this so often in small groups sometimes. Like we ask like, okay, who, uh, who's got you know, some prayer requests? Let's pray. And it's just like, oh, I do, I do. I'm gonna pray for Aunt Flossie's you know, big toe. She's got gout and this weird fungus thing. Can we pray for her? I guess. <laughs> I mean, she needs it, yeah. But why is it that we quickly go to when someone says, okay, let's pray. Do you have any prayer requests? We immediately go to our stepbrother's uncle's cousin's nephew who's in the hospital and we need to pray for him. Well, now listen, we need to pray for those health reasons, but in my experience, sometimes those are the only things that we pray about. Where, where are our prayers for holiness? Where's our prayer for revival in our small groups? Where's our prayer to overcome sin? Where's our prayer to, to be able to walk in God's will? Where's our prayer that just simply says, I need more of Jesus and pray that I get more of Jesus because right now, man, I feel empty and alone. And so often, you know, we hear all of these, you know, little safe little things that, that we wanna put the focus on instead of praying for real issues. And my, the worst one is, I've got an unspoken, man, take your unspoken and get out of my house. <laughs> Don't come at me with no unspoken. You're either gonna be real with me or you're not. I don't have time for the unspoken. What's going on? Let's pray. Some of you are praying for a miracle in this room. How many of you would just say, actually I am, I'm praying for a miracle. Raise it up high. I just wonder, you're praying for it. Is anybody else in the room now? Have you invited anybody else to pray? Listen, we either believe in God or we don't. I believe he's gonna do miracles in this room. I believe that he wants to, he is more than capable of. Let's start praying about it as a church. In your small groups, go to the care and prayer room, in the hallways of this church every single week. Let's, don't waste your time here. Let's seek God, he's here. 
He wants to speak. He wants to move. Some of us aren't giving him the opportunity to do that. We gotta get ourselves out of the way. Now, verse 16, let's get to this. He says, there is a sin that does not lead to death. <laughs> All right, before we go to the other side, let's, let's focus here. This could mean one of two things. He's either praying or telling us to pray for people who are Christians that are in sin because they're sinning a sin that does not lead into death, so pray for them that they would overcome that sin. Uh, and, and, and so there's good direction there. Instead of wagging our finger, we pray for them. Instead of you know, social media posts and humiliation, we pray for them, right? Or what he is saying is, these are people that are not Christians, but they are going to be Christians because he says, pray or ask, and God's gonna give them life. And so, so in that case, they don't have life yet, so they're not Christians, but God is going to give them life and they're gonna become Christians. So pray for non-believers that are in sin. Either way, we're, we're called to pray for, for someone who is in sin. And then he says, there is a sin that does lead to death. And before you freak out on this one, we, we wanna allow scripture to interpret scripture. We never wanna see an ambiguous verse like this and then build a doctrine or theology around it and come up with, oh, well, this is the sin that leads to death. I remember someone uh, asking me that one time, is, is suicide the, the, the sin, unforgivable sin? Is there an unforgivable sin? And maybe that's the one. And, and so, no, the, like every sin committed is forgivable except one. And Jesus actually teaches us what it is. In Mark chapter three, Jesus says, truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. Now, what does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? It just simply means that you reject God's call to salvation. You reject faith in Jesus. So someone that rejects Faith in Jesus is someone who is committing a sin that God is not going to forgive. So if you reject Jesus, then you will not receive heaven. You will not receive forgiveness. And that is the sin that leads to death. And so as believers, we know that, okay, we've received Christ by faith. He is saved. We're confident in that. And as believers, we know that there are men and women who are rejecting Jesus in our family, at work. And we're called to share the gospel with them. We're called to call them uh, to, to, to be a part of Christian fellowship and encourage them to receive Jesus by faith. And then finally, in verse 18, we close with this. He says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. So we can have confidence that God protects you from all evil. God will protect you from the enemy. God will protect you from demonic forces. God will protect you from the evil of this world. And you can have confidence that he will. Now, I know a lot of people that like to watch scary movies and sometimes those scary movies are those demonic kind of, you know, Satan-filled type scary movies. And it's like, they go watch those and then all of a sudden they have nightmares and they're scared. And it's like, well, bro, what'd you expect? Like we're children of the light. So like run into the light and, and run away from the, the darkness. There was a guy in seminary who his mindset was like, 
he was like, I'm going to, you gotta study your enemy. You gotta know your enemy if you're gonna defeat him. And so he started reading all these books on, uh, you know, demonology and, and uh, on the occult and, and Satan. And next thing you know, like he's having these terrifying nightmares and, and that led to like this terrifying, like anxiety that was inside of him and it became his, his focus. And it wasn't until he finally released that and, and just finally stopped and got back into the word of God that he was able to overcome that. And, 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 and then slowly it was like out of his life. And so I would say, look, if you wanna overcome the enemy, study Jesus, follow Jesus, open the word of God. We focus on him and when he is our focus, we realize the victory that we already have in him, the victory that we have in Jesus, the victory that he has already given to us in giving us the Holy Spirit of God. And because of that victory, you and I can have confidence in our salvation. We can be confident that God hears our prayers and that he will answer them. And we can be confident that God will in fact protect us from the enemy. I'm gonna close with a story from 2 Kings chapter 20. There was a king at the time named Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was sick and essentially on his deathbed. And um, God sent the prophet Isaiah. Remember Isaiah wrote the whole book of Isaiah. So he comes into the room and he says, God told me that this is it for you. Like get your house and affairs, you're gonna die. You're not gonna recover from this. Now imagine that for a minute. Imagine you're, you're old, you're sick, maybe in the hospital, and Isaiah the prophet rolls up, you know, the guy that saw Jesus high and lifted up, all the seraphim and angels, holy, 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 that guy walks in and says, this is it for you, God told me. Like, you're gonna believe him. And imagine in that moment what you would do. Some of you have maybe gone through similar situations. Somebody that you love, the doctor came in and said, there's nothing else we can do. Well, for Hezekiah, he had an instinct in that moment. And it wasn't to go get his house in order. His instinct was to go to God in prayer. And so the scripture actually says that Hezekiah turned his face to the wall. And he said, remember Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And the Bible says that before Isaiah even left the property, God spoke to him again and he runs back up into the room. Now imagine this scene as, as Hezekiah is praying and, and he's asking God to remember him and he's staring at the wall and, 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 and you see this, this man of God just kind of run into the room. <sighs> Hezekiah, you get 15 more years. God just told me, congratulations. He's like, what, what? God just told me that he heard your prayer, that he saw your tears and that he's gonna give you 15 more years to live. You know, the reality is every single one of us who have our faith in Jesus, God hears every prayer that you have. He sees every tear that you've cried. He knows every concern that you have today. And Hezekiah's response is the same response that you and I need to have. Not like, in a, oh man, I gotta pray today if I'm gonna be a good Christian. No, it's like, 
It's like you have an opportunity to speak to your heavenly father. And Hezekiah reminded him that, hey, we've been in relationship for a long time. We've been talking for a long time. And I, I just want you to remember me in this moment. And God honors that prayer. He hears that prayer and he wants to do the same for you. What Hezekiah had was a close walk with the Lord. And when you have a close walk with the Lord, you can and will be confident, not because of your performance, but because of his faithfulness. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, in so many ways, God, we, we struggle to have confidence in you. We struggle thinking that the situations that we face depend upon our good performance or our perfect decisions or our perfect actions. And Lord, we have to release that lie. Help us to release it and believe that you are in control. And we plead with you all over the room that you would hear our prayers and answer the prayers that we have today. We're here today seeking you, desiring you, you saw hands all over the room earlier, people praying for miracles. Hear those prayers today, God. We know and trust that you do, and we know and trust that you will answer in your timing according to your will. So give us faith, give us faith, grow our faith. And in this moment, we worship you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Foothills Church. If you made a decision to follow Christ while listening today, or if you have some more questions about what that looks like, then let us know. You can text FC Decision to 97000, or you can head over to foothillschurch.com slash decision. We hope you have a great week.